It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A partial takeover, semi-completed, a memorable comeback victory. Goals from Rasmus Hoyland, goals from Marcus Rashford and from an electric Alejandro Garnacho. Stellar performances from young Kobe Minor, Lissandro Martinez back and fit through in the FA Cup. We've beaten the informed side who defeated City, Arsenal and Spurs in Aston Villa. We've got an easier and exciting away draw in the FA Cup. We've got plenty of time to work on the training ground now. There's a winter break. It's some list of positives, but... You can do the same for negatives. United are very much up and down at the moment and it's the nature of the club really. There always has to be news and negatives are easier but we're not half making it hard for ourselves. Some insipid performances to counter the great. There's lapses of concentration that undo everything good and a real lack of identity on the pitch. A combination of bad players trying hard and good players not trying hard enough. Continued injuries, illness ravaging the squad, a lack of activity in the January transfer market, woeful set-piece defending and a real lack of hope for the rest of the season that's United for you what to make of all that well we'll have our opinions and analysis and that's what you're getting today a very warm welcome to the Manchester United weekly podcast it's been a little while since we recorded so thank you for tuning in happy new year and I hope you're all well I'm Harry Robinson and Jack Tate is with me to begin with reviewing Sunday's 2-2 draw against Tottenham but more importantly that big list of positives and negatives the wider Christmas and new year period as a whole we're recording after a draw and I think that gives us a good opportunity to look back at matters objectively without being clouded by the euphoria of victory or frustration of defeat. We'll also have an extensive academy roundup and we'll talk the takeover or partial takeover transfers and our hopes for 2024 and we'll play guest the player as well and our patrons will get a bonus Q&A and we've got a great question to lead our conversation on Ratcliffe and Ineos from Tony Ryan, one of our patrons who supported us for some time. Jack, I, I mentioned the euphoria of victory. Walking away from Old Trafford on, on Sunday, I was walking up the steps of the Stratford End Bridge. It was absolutely silent I've never heard it like that and that's because we haven't had a draw for so long I think people don't know what to make of it but we were we were just inches away from that euphoria of victory from a from an excellent home win with what would have been a third lovely goal this fantastic Garnacho cross and McTominay heads over we'd obviously still have had a lot to worry about but it's worth acknowledging the fine margins of of that game and yeah what a shame it couldn't be converted into what wouldn't have been a, a perfect victory by any means but would have been a, a real boost and, and we should have won it at the end there. Well, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I think in United's case, that means that victories feel even sweeter this year because they've been so few and far between. Yeah, yeah it would. I mean, it was a massive opportunity in, in the end. You know, I think the game was, it was chaos for most of it, to be quite honest. But, you know, we certainly had the chances to win it. We also had the... Udogi yeah. almost own goal coming off the post at one point as well, which was a, almost a kind of surreal moment as that ball was travelling towards the goal. McTominay probably should and should have done better with the header at the end. And like I said, it would have been 
a brilliant moment to add to the list of brilliant moments that we've somehow had in such a disappointing season. I think really it was a game that I think it pretty much summed up how we're playing at the moment in that you have moments where we look quite good. We've scored a couple of really good goals and obviously Hoyland backing up the the goal against Villa in his next home game is a massive positive as well, but also saw a lot of the failings that have plagued us all season and and on another day like you said we easily could have won that game 3-2 or 3-1 but I think on another day we also could have lost 3-2 3-1 and and that that feels kind of like who United are at the moment we are a team that are living and dying by fine margins because our performance levels are so bang average that it feels like any game is on a complete knife edge and we're very much at the mercy of of luck and a few you know little bounces here and there going a different way will completely changed the complexion of our season yeah and we need a bit of luck and it, I mean we've been crying out for an early goal for so long and it came in the most emphatic fashion what an incredible finish yeah. from Ireland that was a, it was I, I said to my mate I was watching with in, in the pub it reminded me of, a, of Aguero that finish that was an Aguero yeah. trademark like near post into the roof of the net yeah that's that's very true it was a great buzz inside the ground and buzzing for Hoyland having that that moment against Aston Villa was was just magical and we didn't record after that because it was a Christmas time and everyone's very busy but the the noise of that game and the kind of euphoria of that comeback win and for it to be finished off by Hoyland it was such a boost and it's a it's a strange one this Christmas period isn't it because we do have all these positives and I think if you that the, the reality is there'll be optimists looking at the rest of the season thinking oh Hoyland's in the goals Rashford started scoring Garnacho's playing incredibly and Mainu and, and all the things I listed at the start but yeah you're right chaos <laughs> um, it just so uninspiring the way that United played and and in the second half at least and, and to waste that rare early goal that we've wanted for so long to settle us at home to waste it with just terrible set piece defending is it's so disappointing and you can imagine Ten Hag could be furious and he'll be furious at the at conceding so early in the second half as well but ultimately there's so many things I feel Villa and Spurs are great examples I think over the Christmas period in that when Ten Hag sets United up well these players can thrive and that second half against Villa was brilliant and there were moments against Tottenham where you thought this is, this is good because what we've seen is that the players are definitely playing for Ten Hag. Effort levels could be better for many, including Marcus Rashford. Bravery and comfort and kind of courage and conviction could be better for others like McTominay and Anthony. But I think these two games show that Ten Hag isn't setting United up right too often and his in-game changes are poor. Those against Aston Villa were great and won us the game. But I, I don't know, it, at this period, instead of kind of reinforcing and the Liverpool game, which is when we last recorded, it, it all, it, it's this belief that these players are kind of wanting to do well for Ten Hag, but just every game you're, you're, you're thinking this, there's, there's something missing and it does have to come down to the manager. Oh yeah, 100% it's it's down to the manager. The like, I don't, I, There have definitely been times in the past where a group of players at Man United have completely down tools and clearly lost faith in the manager to the point where they don't, they don't want to put in the work to to carry out what the manager wants and to sort of make the manager pleased with what they're putting in. I don't see that at all with this United team at the moment. The the sort of faith in the manager is still there. It's, it's The problem is that the ideas from that manager just aren't backing up and aren't sort of helping the players to actually bring that sort of effort to any kind of fruition. You can see it in little spurts here and there, which is what we've seen all season. You know, you can go all the way back to the first game of the Champions League against Bayern. That first yeah. 20 minutes at the Allianz was, was brilliant. We dominated them at, 
at home. And then, you know, you concede one goal from a, you know, fairly sloppy situation and then the floodgates open and it's been like that for most of the season. And obviously the players need to be, you know, more mentally strong in certain situations. But I think, quite frankly, the manager is not putting them in situations to succeed. I'm not saying he's setting them up to fail, maybe not quite that strongly, but I don't think he's doing the opposite either. I don't think he's setting them up to succeed. I, I think we're, we're sort of just throwing mud at the wall and hoping that some things stick and some things are sticking. Like you mentioned, the performances of Kobe Minor and, and Garnacho in particular, Hoyland, his performance levels are still very good and were even when he wasn't scoring. And obviously now a couple of goals have come to match that too. There have been you know decent performances by Rashford against Spurs and, and others at, at times, but it, it just feels it feels extremely helter-skelter from United at the moment. I mean, I think, honestly, a perfect example is, is just the fullbacks. I mean, we go to Wigan, and we play Dallow at left-back and Wan-Bissaka at right-back, and then we come and play Spurs, and it's the other way around. Yeah, although I mean, in that fairness, alone, that's, that's because Luke Shaw dropped out on the morning, and there is this continued kind of... Well, no, I, I don't... Of, I don't sorry, sorry I don't, I'm not, I'm not criticising Ten Hag for playing Dallow and Wan-Bissaka, but... If they're going to be your two fullbacks, surely you have a clear idea of which one is better playing in which, like, how do you go from one week to the other and swap them around? Yeah, I think not. Uh, his explanation wasn't, and make of it what you will, that Dallow was scheduled to play at right back and Shaw at left back. And when Shaw dropped out, he wanted to keep Dallow in the role that he'd been meant to play in. And wan came in to, to replace Shaw. That was his fairly I simple just, I just don't buy it. Yeah, fair enough. Because I mean, that, that's like saying if Shaw got injured during the game, like, oh, I don't want to move Dallow from right back. Yeah, of course you would. If you think, if you think he's better playing at left back than Wan Bissaka, do it. Yeah, and you would if it was a substitution. Yeah, it just, it, it just, it, it's not a, a massive issue in the grand scheme of things. I just think it's an example that speaks to the fact that it doesn't seem like there are very clear plans and clear ideas going on here. It seems like we sort of lurch mm. from one to the other every week. Yeah, I, I agree in general. I do think these games have, I think there's been some good signs in A, that Tenag is now picking our best players and putting them in good positions. And we've gone from not being able to score very much to scoring a couple of games because Rashford is on the left wing in his natural position where he was a 30-goal player last year. Garnacho is playing on the right where he's better than Anthony. Hoyland is being given game after game in 90 minutes and Bruno is playing with them and when you put those four players together in those positions they will score and they are scoring now that's a, a real bonus over the Christmas period McTominay's playing less Tenag is trusting mine more that's another real positive I also think we're I, I agree in general that we're kind of flip-flopping around and that's obviously been the key problem of, of the season and and the kind of the main talking point for United at the moment is this kind of like a lack of identity and it's it's something we've spoken about and I still think it's there but I do there are some signs of it aren't there because you look at you look at all these games and the similar ideas, forget the set pieces because that's just really poor and, and that shouldn't be happening at all. But what United are good at is also where our weakness comes in that we're very good at winning the ball back high up at the moment when, when the players are on it. And that's not always the case. What we're not good at is converting that into goals. So these stats were true of a couple of weeks ago, tweeted by Keith Van Hem and no side in the Premier League has more shots, shots resulting from ball wins high up the pitch than United but no side in the Premier League has fewer goals from those same situations <laughs> which is ridiculous it's a it's high volume but we're not then doing well enough with the ball that's partly down to some you could say unfortunate you could also say some terrible finishing at times and then the other weakness is so that's kind of the 
I would say is the key part of United's identity under Ten Hag at the moment is that intensity and winning the ball back high up. It's not good enough yet, but we are quite good at it. Uh, statistically, the best side in the league at it. Uh, but the other weakness that comes with that is Ten Hag used to spoke about rest defence laws last year, which is kind of a new phrase to English football. And the, the concept isn't new, but the phrases in terms of kind of your defence that's left behind. And at the moment, United is terrible. So when there's that intense attempt to win the ball high up and suddenly if it doesn't pay off or the, the team can play around you you're gone and even when United were playing in the second half against Villa on Boxing Day Villa was still getting chances to cut through even at Wigan it was happening and then you see Spurs second goal uh, the the equaliser just after half time yeah that comes from United do it, coming straight out after half time and I was really happy for about 20 seconds because it went it, we were going for it and we won the ball back up high up but then concede possession and then you get that one diagonal ball through another one and within a few seconds Tottenham are scored and Ten Hag kind of talks about wanting to be the best team in transition well at the moment we're, we're one of the worst defensively still very good in attack but we're not finishing enough but in defensively in those transition is defined by if I'm remembering my FA coaching course correctly definition is uh, the six seconds when it after a team concedes possession and yet defensively when we can see possession in those six seconds, we're just very, very often getting scythed apart. Well, I think there's a couple of issues at play in that. And the second goal from Spurs really summed it up perfectly because it, it was exactly from one of those moments. I think there's two things. The first is that because we are because our ideas in attack are so limited at the moment, we're having to commit so many more bodies forward than you would ideally want in every attack to try and create good goal scoring opportunities it's unless it's from a you know an attacking transition of our own when we've got 50 yards of space to run into which we did exploit well at times against Spurs but you know we're having to throw in attacks when you might normally have four or five players in sort of really high attacking positions United are having to put six or seven up there and so then if the ball does break down and we don't win the ball back immediately which as you said we have done on a number of occasions this year quite well but if we don't now, instead of having half the team in sort of a rest defence shape, we've only got three or four. And, you know, it makes it so much more difficult to defend those defensive transitions. And then the second part, which is a little bit less in our control, but I think there are still things we could do better than we are, I think is the absence of a, a proper defensive midfielder over the last few months. And obviously Casemiro being injured yeah. is a huge part of that, although his performances when he when he was fit at the start of the year wasn't good anyway and he, he certainly wasn't really helping that and to be fair I think he he is part of he's one of the culprits of that tendency that we have of throwing too many men forward in attack because he has a tendency to do that as well but I think that in, in some ways that's out of our control and that you know obviously our really only true defensive midfielder in the squad has been out for a few months but I think the thing that we could do better is is with the midfield partnerships that we have I I was very surprised that Mainu and Eriksen were the midfield two against Spurs. I, you know, I think they they have qualities that in certain games can complement each other brilliantly. And obviously, from any of the midfielders that we have available, they are the two that you would back to sort of enable us to have control of a game. But against the team as aggressive as Spurs, both in attack and in defence, I don't think we ever really had a hope in hell of controlling that game, even with Mino and Eriksen in there. And we certainly didn't for any length of time, maybe a couple of short spells in the first half, but nothing else really. And as I've said before, I think as well as Mino has done, the one part of his game where I think that you can still sort of see the weakness is that in transitions, when he has space to cover, he, you can see that he doesn't sort of cover the ground as well as he probably will in a few years from now. And that 
that's natural part of his progression. But when you're sort of leaving him isolated as the lone number six in midfield, as we're pressing four or five men up the pitch to try and put the pressure on Spurs, that one ball from Romero into midfield in the build-up to Spurs' goal completely cut us open. You know, and then we've committed so many bodies forward. So yeah. for me, in a game like this, I and it's a hard one. I, I get that, you know, our options aren't great because the other side of that coin is, okay, who do you bring in? And if it's not Ericsson, and it's probably McTominay, but we've both spoken about, you know, that we have massive issues with McTominay playing as well. And McTominay, despite being more mobile and on paper, a bit more sort of defensively robust than Ericsson, he's been playing as almost a second number 10 for a lot of the season. So would he have really helped that much? I don't know. Well, Andy, Andy hides. He just well, exactly. hides from receiving the ball. And that's that's why he's. I've been so annoyed with watching him in this United team because, and it, and it frustrates me as well because he has, he's a good player and I wish he would. And he did it when he came further. on. That's what he did exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it frustrates me. And I think there's a few players at United that aren't, haven't improved themselves over the last few years. And there's others who have done and they're still not good enough. Like in my opinion, Diogo Dallo, but he has obviously made a, a real effort to improve himself. Some things have got better, but so I, at least I can respect that. And then you see others like Garnacho, who is c- constantly improving himself. And it's not just because he's a young player learning his game. More senior players can do that uh, as well. But um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's midfield's a real problem. I, I, my caveat to that would be, I guess, if Shaw had started, you'd be, which was obviously the plan on the morning of the game. If Shaw starts that game with Minor and Ericsson, that's kind of an extra half midfielder, whereas Wan-Bissaka is not. So maybe that was yeah. the thinking. And, and yeah, maybe you're right. If he if he knew Shaw wasn't fit, then maybe Matsumare would have started that game instead. But certainly Casemiro and Martinez coming back should make a, a massive difference. You, you think about the drop-off in minutes this season, the biggest are for sure Sancho Martinez and Casemiro and three of those players are very much needed in this United team and we knew that we needed last season we saw how important they were and and yeah I mean you saw how desperate Tenag was to bring Martinez on bringing Evans off for him yeah. and it was needed it helped it didn't quite do enough but um, yeah it was yeah, it was great to see him again and there were reports over the weekend that Ten Hag sees Casemiro and Kobe Mainu as potentially his sort of ideal midfield partnership we'll see how much truth was in that but you could you could understand maybe if that is the case you know Mainu brings a lot of the same qualities to the table that Ericsson did and obviously that Ericsson Casemiro Bruno Fernandes midfield was so successful for most of last year so maybe that trio of Casemiro Mainu and Fernandes would will bring about you know this big improvement but it's it's just I think at, at this point in the season it's hard it's hard to know how much faith to have in any sort of potential improvement in the way that this United team is going to set ourselves up just because we seem to have tried so many things already and every option that we have, partly as a result of the poor sort of squad building that we've had over a number of years, every potential solution to a problem, even like the one I just mentioned there with maybe you bring McTominay in for Ericsson to give you a bit more mobility in midfield, has massive trade-offs the other way. And I think that's going to be the case really no matter which trio we have in there as a midfield. Yeah. I'm going to move on to talk other things in the Christmas period rather than just performances like the takeover. But let's have guess the player clue one. This is me setting for Jack this week as a reminder. Three clues throughout the show. The quicker you get it, the more points you get. And uh, it's going to be a United player, ex-player or staff member or ex-staff member. So are you ready for clue one, Jack? Yeah, go for it. After coming through United's academy, I've been a successful player and worked as a coach at the club after playing for two other teams in England. So... The 
I was a successful player for United after coming through the club's academy. I then became a coach of the club after going on to play for another two teams in England. Two other teams, yeah, not two in total, including United. Two other teams in England plus United. Two other okay. teams. So United Academy, United, then two other teams, and then back to United to be a coach. Okay, I've got, I've got an idea, but I won't, I won't spoil it. Well, I don't know if I'm right, but I won't, <laughs> I won't say my guess so that any listeners well, we'll can uh, keep playing along. I mean, there's, there's one that screams, that's screaming out to me, but this has also happened before, and I've been completely wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can always guess it before clue two when we get round to that, which will be in a few minutes. Now let's talk takeover because since we last recorded, 25% of Manchester United has been nearly bought. Um, it's all uh, it's all still a little up in the air, but it will happen and, and ratification uh, will come in, in the next three to four weeks, I think is, is the hope. That's what Sir Jim Ratcliffe said when talking to media at Old Trafford uh, before Sunday's game, which is good. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I think in general about this, the mood within the club is is optimistic. There's obviously loads of details to be ironed out. There's some harsh truths to be told as well at some point. But in my opinion, I was very satisfied with this. This is in relative terms, definitely a victory for United. It's the the control of a an incompetent and neglectful family reduced and also reduced is the likelihood of a, a nation state buying Manchester United to use it as a, a political pawn, a geopolitical tool. Obviously, fan ownership remains something to aspire to, but out of the options that were available, this is probably the best. And I'm never going to kind of heroise someone coming in to buy my football club, but I have some optimism for Ratcliffe coming in. And this was very welcome news on Christmas Eve, wasn't it, Jack? Very welcome and very surprising news that it would come come through on Christmas Eve. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, as you said, I'm I'm not going to be, you know, jumping up and down on the roof crying Jim Ratcliffe's name in, in celebration. But ultimately of the options that seemed realistic at a certain point, which seemed either the Glazers retain control as they have done, the Qatari royal, royal family buying United or Jim Ratcliffe taking this 25% and gaining control of football side of the club. I think this was, for me, clearly the the best outcome of those three. Look, I think so far, ev- everything, all the noises you're hearing are good. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jim Ratcliffe and Dave Brailsford seem to have made quite a good impression according to reports on people around the club, not just the playing staff and the coaches, but also other staff around the club. They're still saying all the right things. You know, I think doing this sort of internal review of all the club structures, allowing Jim Ratcliffe and Dave, Dave Brailsford to see how, what the processes are like and which ones they might want to change. It all, it all sounds good. It, obviously, the proof will be in the pudding really until, I don't think it will really be until probably at the very least after the summer transfer window has closed before we really know what the impact of this has been. But so far it's been, you know, the, again, the noises coming out are all, are all quite positive. I understand why there might be some sort of trepidation from especially staff members at the club 
Obviously, it's not on a personal level. It's it's worrying that certain people might lose their jobs in this internal review. But I think from a big picture point of view, it's something that is necessary necessary for Ratcliffe to come in and yeah, sort of put it, his stamp it on the club. Is. So, look, we'll see. We'll see what changes are made in the next few months. I the the one thing I hope is just that Jim Ratcliffe and Dave Brailsford don't almost go the same way as sort of the Glazers and John Murta and Richard Arnold and Ed Woodward before them in that they just think they can do everything themselves and it's just left to them to and what's the yeah. other uh, Blanc is that I can't remember his first name the other guy there was a point into the board yeah Jean-Claude Blanc you know yeah. it it shouldn't just be those three doing it it should be them three understanding where the structure is wrong at the moment and bringing in much more experienced and qualified people to actually carry out the running of the football side of this club. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other major positive is, and I think this has kind of been forgotten in the last couple of weeks, but was certainly a big thing in the first few days, is the detail of, of this deal seems to open the door for a full sale in a few years' time. That's a positive. It's one step towards what fans have been protesting for for many years, 18, 19 years. So that is certainly some some festive cheer. I think you're right. We talk about players and managers and, and staff needing to adapt to working at United. And it's absolutely true. It's one of the biggest clubs in the world and it, it's different. So you're correct. It's going to be an adjustment for Ratcliffe and Brailsford and Blanc as, as well. Because wherever you've come from, cycling or the top of another sport or Juventus or wherever, it's still a step up at United and it's things are different and they will find that out very, very quickly if they don't know it already. So yeah, you're right. We've got a good question from, from Tony Ryan, one of our patrons talking about about this but yeah the the noise is absolutely a, a positive the the fact that 300 million dollars can be put in within the first year or 18 months and that that will go to infrastructure development the fact that that will then give Ratcliffe more equity in the club uh, more shares is a real positive the fact he engaged with fans and wrote a letter to them on the first day of his well not f- confirmed ownership but on the day is is fantastic that's more than the Glazers did in 18 years I know he's been meeting with uh, the Manchester United Supporters Trust and the Fan Advisory Board in the last few days as well transparently talking to the media fantastic meeting staff talking openly with them is is brilliant I'd say there's long been a what I'd call a, a defensive attitude to club communications both internally and externally for many years at United a kind of uh, this idea that you know everyone's out to get United and um, and that's that kind of is made obvious in all staff meetings where United staff are told that the club's getting closer to City, that they're that everyone at United is brilliant and everything is negative in the press just because people are trying to pick on United. And look, there is a bit of truth to that. Negative stories about United make newspapers and websites money, but it's pointless saying it. If you're at United, forget about that. Like, just be aspirational. And United's senior staff members have been defensive instead of aspirational. And in the first staff meeting with Ratcliffe, um, the the quotes that came out of that were fantastic. That feels like one of the immediate changes. So, um, yeah, good start. Talk is, as you said, only so good, but a very good start. Let's answer Tony's question. He says... Uh, assume you are Jim Ratcliffe. What is your list of key priorities and can you rank them in terms of importance? No copping out and saying that they're all important or some are long-term and other short-term. So um, do you want to give us a, a first priority, Jack? I think number one priority has to be getting the 
getting the structure and the personnel right to attack the summer transfer window, which probably means appointing a sporting director in the next few months. Okay, yeah, yeah. My, I guess mine would be a broader, in fact, maybe no, kind of a more specific, more short-term thing. I think the first priority is structure-related, but establish what that real structure is. What does being in charge of football areas of the club really mean? Because this is a football club. So that needs to be established in the next couple of weeks before the deal is fully ratified and it has to be made basically unbreakable. So what that is, is is like, we can't know, but it should basically include, in my opinion, that uh, in the Ineos people, so Ratcliffe, Brailsford, Blunk, whoever is going to be director of football, being given a budget by the Glazers effectively and then being free to do what they like with it because Joel Glazer has had um, has been micromanaging for far too long and shouldn't have the final sign-off in anything anymore, really. So that would kind of be my number one priority of the next couple of weeks is, is make sure that structure is there and it's agreed who's in charge of what and that that's made. There's no kind of, no going back on that uh, in a few weeks when United want to set a player that Joel Glazer personally likes a little bit. And then I think, yeah, then you're looking at um, appointed director of football and as Jim Wright wrote in, in United We Stand this month, it, that can't just be a mate of Dave Brailsford. It has to be someone who who knows football better than any other sport, who's worked at top clubs around the world. Um, so yeah, they, that's we've got two. Is there an obvious one for number three? I think I have mine, but have you got one? Well, I think it's it would have to be related to the infrastructure of the club. And I think knowing and developing a proper plan for redevelopment of both Old Trafford and Carrington. Interesting. I'd put that quite low down in terms of priorities. I guess, uh, yeah, like long-term priorities, absolutely. But well, Tony said we can't we can't say something short-term and something's long-term. So I think if we're if we're putting that out the window, I think that's got to be very important because yeah, in terms but- of the capital outlay on it, that's I mean that's going to be a massive, massive part of what. Jim Ratcliffe yeah. is yeah. going to be contributing to this. It's hard though, isn't it? Because if, when you're thinking about the, like the word priority effectively makes it mean short term in my head. So my my third one after that would be yeah. deciding and like publicly stating a very a genuine specific set of goals. So what are the values of the modern Manchester United? What are the goals beyond simply restoring the club to where it should be? Because what does that mean? So things like how do we want to play? kind of publicly committing to an awareness and a, a of, of tradition and historic values of, of youth and integrity and passion and 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 those shortcuts as well because and, and style of play which United have had for a bit attacking football and signing the best young players in the world to go alongside those from our academy that has been stated before we've just not done it but setting those values out is I think one of the first things that needs to be done because I see I, I, I know it doesn't really matter but you see these stories about Brailsford and there's obviously some controversy with uh, with his work at, at Team Sky and you, you look at others who are like let's just pump a load of money and let's spend a load of money and it's like that's not that's not what United are, are built on there can't be shortcuts has to be done right and th- like this is a, a one-off club with a history and a set of values to aspire to and that is about the kind of pursuit of perfection, not shortcuts or just spending a load of money or whatever. Um, so yeah, mine would be put those values out and state them publicly and be be ambitious about them. Don't kind of hide away from our history, and which I think has also been done for too long. Don't hide away from the fact that we do want to win trophies. We want to win the Champions League and, and say that. And then if it fails, it fails. You can say it as long as you tried your best, it's all right. So that would be my third. And then... I think 
kind of big one is because you have to have those values before the next one I'm going to say but the next one is make a decision on Tanakh because that's obviously for the first few years of the Ratcliffe slash Ineos reign that's going to be key but it has to come after the director of football and after the values in my opinion what do you think? Yeah I agree and I think all of that has to happen before the end of the season if, if Ten Hag isn't the right isn't the right manager it's fine you can keep him on to the end of the season but I think that decision has to be made quickly once all those people are in place because you don't I mean the, the absolute last thing you want here is to spend you know 150 yeah. million in the summer in under this new structure and then sack the manager and obviously Ten Hag won't be as in control of those transfers as he has been in the last couple of windows you would imagine under this better structure but you know he still obviously is going to have a lot of input and he will want players that will fit in whatever he sees is the way United want want to play under him and the last thing you want is to have, as we have done in the past, go into a summer, spend a boatload of money on players for that manager and knowing that they are fairly close to being sacked and don't have a massively long tether. Yeah. You know, if that is going to be the case, I don't think I don't think it's feasible to have Ten Hag stay on a sort of a lame duck. Yeah. It needs to be decided in the next yeah. few months. I personally, I would stick with him, but give him proper backing. But he needs to show more before the end of the season for so that. If, if Martinez and Casemiro and Shaw come back and things are still bad, then I think the decision probably makes itself. So hypothetically, if Ratcliffe sets out these goals and says, yeah, we want to be playing proactive, attacking football. We want to be one of the most exciting teams in the world to watch. And for the rest of the season, we don't have major injury problems, but with the level of football is still pretty much the same. and and you know, we don't see any sort of change in the way that Ten Hag is setting us up. Like, what what is the threshold for you in terms of what would make you lose faith in Ten Hag? Because I'm not disagreeing with you, right? Like, at this point, I would say exactly the same, but I'm just sort of thinking ahead, like, yeah, what yeah. would it take for me to think Ten Hag it's, actually needs to go? If it carries on like this till the end of the season, then I think, I, I don't think he's showed enough in his second season. He's, he wouldn't have built at all on what he did last season, which was very good. So, yeah you're looking for a much more obvious style of play, a harder working team and better results. It's a results game. But from the outside, it's also quite hard to say because ultimately results don't show everything. From For us, it, it does. But it, from inside, yeah. if they see that there's a problem with the culture and that Tenag is aware of that and wants to change it, but has been unable because he can't get rid of players for financial reasons, then they might believe in him, even if results are bad. And that would be fair enough, I think. So, uh, uh, yeah, I personally, I would give him the proper backing, let him get rid of whoever he wants and allow him to work in a proper recruitment structure as he did at Ajax, where things went much better in uh, terms of that kind of, yeah. I think this also makes... Obviously, we don't want to have injuries just because we want our players available. But I think it, it it makes not having huge injury problems even more important for us between now and the end of the season. Because yeah. you know, if we if we in the next couple of months have another big injury crisis, I think you're always going to be in this world where there's always some mitigating factor for Ten Hag. And it, this season has not been good enough, but clearly there have been massive mitigating factors. Not, not to mention the yeah. uncertainty with the ownership, but also the, all of the injuries that he's had to deal with. What you actually want is for Ten Hag to have everything laid out sort of the best possible situation it could be given the squad that we have. And if yeah. and that way, if it goes wrong, 
there's nothing else you can sort of say as, as an excuse or anything that could sort of explain how this went bad. You want him to have the best conditions possible so we can get a proper look, or not we, but Jim Ratcliffe and, <laughs> and us. Dave, Bra- Dave Brailsford and Jean-Claude Blanc and whoever they appoint as a director of football to have all of the information they can to say, this clearly wasn't good enough, or yes, you are the right yep. man going forward. And after all of those things, then I think you can put real emphasis on infrastructure. I don't think Carrington needs, I've been to Carrington a lot and I don't think it doesn't need immediate work. It, it needs some work according to people who, uh, well, certainly ex-players. For according example. to Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, but in fairness, a lot <laughs> of the things he asked for were done, including like changes to the canteen, the swimming pool. There's a new academy and women's building. It's it's not, from my perspective, Carrington is not a major issue. Um, it's a pretty amazing place. Old Trafford is something that needs to be done and a decision on that should be made I think within the first year, I don't think, I think you could make some short term things in that first year, like um, fixing the roof <laughs> and, and yeah, fixing any issues that are there, improving the, the facilities for the press and for whatever. But I, I wouldn't rush into anything with regards to Old Trafford. They need to look at it properly because this is kind of the biggest long term decision at United for what will be probably half a century. It's a, it makes a massive difference to the future of the club. We can talk about what we want at Old Trafford another time. The only other thing I'll finish on is having written the, the men who made Manchester United and studied the life of James Gibson so much while I was doing it, a, a great man. It's pretty hard not to draw the parallels between Ratcliffe and him. Two local businessmen. Gibson was born in Salford. Ratcliffe was born in Failsworth or brought up in Failsworth. Gibson was a bit younger when he took over United. He was 54 and became president of the club. But there there are plenty of similarities. You look back to 1931, United were on the brink of bankruptcy, ready to become a mere footnote in the consequences of the Great Depression. And through some bad luck, but mainly really bad management at the senior levels of, of the club. A once great football team had declined for a decade and the directors had no consistent strategy beyond saving money. And that was thrown out the window every so often when things got so bad that investment was needed. And at that point, United will overpay, often buying past it players who'd give them a, a short-term escape route, but only prolong the long-term problems. Gibson steps in. In the first week, he engages with the supporters club. The previous directors had refused to speak to them completely. And Gibson goes further and actually chooses the head of the supporters club to be part of United's selection committee. Back in the 30s, um, not at every club, but a lot, you had selection committees rather than managers picking the teams. And uh, and he then gave fans what became known as the Gibson Guarantee. He said, if the public will back me up, give me any justification for carrying on, I will assure them that the United will not fail. And yeah, Gibson was basically a Mancunian nationalist who believed in the power of a, an institution like United and and he loved sport. And um, he said very early on, he told uh, Alf Clark, a journalist who died at Munich a, f- a couple of decades later, he said, Clark, United will become one of the best teams in the country. And they did because he was a, he was an optimist. He had ambition and val- values and vision. And I hope Ratcliffe will be, be the same. It's definitely the right step so far. But I also think, I hope someone somewhere at the club is is telling Ratcliffe to look back at United's history for examples and, and inspiration because within a hundred days of becoming club president, James Gibson stabilised the finances, took on a huge debt burden himself to save the club money, improved the comfort for supporters at Old Trafford, put a roof over certain places that didn't have one. The match day crowds trebled in size within a few weeks. He secured United's place in Division 2 and then he laid the foundations of future success 
by suggesting the start of the A-team, which is kind of the start of the academy. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a pretty inspirational example. And hopefully this is, uh, this is another exciting new era. Are you, have you got that hope? It's kind of hard after a draw like that, but have you got it? I mean, yeah, of course. I, I think, I don't think any, any United fan cannot be hopeful. I don't, I don't, I don't think it means that we're confident <laughs> necessarily, <laughs> but look, I mean, we've been almost 20 years under what we would consider one of the bleakest ownership situations that you could imagine really. Yeah. And getting out of that, even partially, of course you're hopeful. I don't think you can be anything but that. Like I said, I think we're still very cautious in our optimism because we've seen so many false dawns, even under the Glazers, let alone whatever it's going to be under Jim Ratcliffe. But, you know, it, on paper, everything has is an improvement over what we've had for the last 20 years. Let's see how it goes, but yeah, I am. I am hopeful. Yeah, it's a United fan who's who's bought part of Man United. Yeah, it's great. Um, you can have, and we'll we'll talk about this another time. Concerns with Ratcliffe's businesses, and I don't think you're ever going to get a, a a properly good billionaire occasionally, but it's it's pretty hard. Um, so there there are concerns, and it's not to say that necessarily. We, we should love him as a person, but a United fan buying part of United and taking control away from the Glaciers is pretty fucking good <laughs> in terms of what we're hoping for. And it takes a, that weight of uh, other people disagree, but if if a nation state such as Qatar or Saudi Arabia, whoever it may have been, were to take over United, uh, that might have been the, the line in the sand for me. And so it takes away that... Uh, that weight of worrying that I might lose my football club. So it's, uh, it's pretty nice. And yeah, just uh, those, I think those comparisons with James Gibson are important because you look back and you've got Glazers, you've got the Edwards family, Martin Edwards and, and his dad, Louis Edwards before that. And before that was, was James Gibson. And for the first time since Gibson, you've got a local man businessman made good using his money to after a great business career to invest in in his football club and that's pretty cool after 18 years of having money taken out of us here's a man who's putting in immediately 300 million pounds for infrastructure that's pretty good (laughs) so yeah some hope feels good Right, guess the player clue too, and then we're going to go into the Patreon Q&A where we'll have some more questions like Tony's brilliant one there. So thank you, Tony, for that. Are you ready for clue two, Jack? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to guess before it comes, even if it's a, a secret guess by WhatsApping me? Uh, yeah, go on then. Okay. I won't say anything, but I will send you a name. Cool. All right, the first clue to remind you was that it's a player who came through United's Academy and then played for the club successfully, then left, went and played for two other teams and came back to work as a coach. That's actually kind of four clues all at once, but your, your second <laughs> clue officially is uh, my absence in a crucial final is still seen as a deciding factor in the game. My absence in a crucial final is still seen as a deciding factor in the game. All right. I think that makes me a bit more confident on my guess. I think. Okay. I won't let you say it yet, but we'll come. Uh, I'll tell you if you're right after clue three. That's one of those. It's one of those clues that I think works with my guess, but if I'm wrong, it doesn't You'll like, be very confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, let's go into Patreon Q&A. After that, we'll have a Academy Roundup and then we'll be talking about our hopes for the rest of the season as well as guess the player clue three. So let's dive into Patreon Q&A and ad break for normal subscribers. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lots of Academy news to take you through coming out of the patron Q&A and the ad break. United play Swindon Town under 18s in a Tuesday 7pm kickoff at the county ground this week live on MUTV. The Young Reds beat Derby County 1-0 in the third round of the FA Youth Cup at Old Trafford in a tight game a few weeks ago where nerves seemed to get the better of a few players. Ethan Williams came off the bench to score the only goal of the game. That being said about the nerves, there were some moments of real quality. Jack Fletcher, one of two sons of Darren now at the academy after a joint summer move from Manchester City was the game's standout player at number 10 while 16-year-old midfielder Jace Fitzgerald drew several fouls and played some really nice passes. And Harry Amas, the left-back who United worked so hard to sign from Watford early this year, has a really strong ball control, can clip a nice ball over the top like Luke Shaw and knows how to use his body well. All have loads to work on, all are very young, but there were some uh, some really good signs in that game, despite it being pretty tight and, and, and uh, sloppy and narrow. Uh, the winner of Swindon against United on Tuesday night will travel to either Gillingham or Sunderland in the fifth round of the FA Youth Cup. The under-18s warmed up for their fourth round game with a 3-1 away win at Newcastle. Second half goals came from Ethan Williams, Aston Misson and Jace Fitzgerald, maintaining a remarkable record-breaking 11-match winning streak in the under-18 Premier League. The under-21s, meanwhile, this weekend succumbed to a 3-2 defeat against Chelsea in the Premier League 2 on Friday night. United were a little unfortunate to trail by two goals before looking like they'd rescued a point with two brilliant goals from Shola Shuratere, especially the second one. But Tariq George scored a late winner for Chelsea. When I spoke to Coach Travis a couple of weeks ago, he gave me his mid-season assessment. This kind of common theme of conceding late goals and not seeing games out was one of his key frustrations. So hopefully that can improve over the second half of the season. Shola Shuratiri, meanwhile, could probably do with a loan move. He had a mixed time at Bolton Wanderers last year. There were some good signs. There were other signs that he needed to bulk up a bit. But it, it feels like he's, he's probably not learning enough at under-21's level because he's been showing his kind of He's been a level above that for, for several years already. One player who has gone out on loan already is Joe Hugel, joining Burton Albion of League One just days after signing a new contract to United. It's a good move for him. Whether he'll make it at United or not, uh, I, I'm not sure. He's been on the bench a few times under Tanag. He's been in first team training for some months now. 
Um, he has got some real quality. He does need to bulk up a bit. Charlie McNeil has returned from loan at Stevenage. He didn't have a great time there, to be honest, and we'll spend the rest of the season with the under-21s. Another one who could go out on loan is Reese Bennett. That's particularly true after he's fallen down the pecking order a bit because Willie Kambwala uh, became the 248th Academy graduate with his debut at West Ham and then appearance off the bench against Aston Villa. It was a bit of a surprise inclusion, to be honest, but he put in two very good performances and it's it's great for him. Amari Forsen then became number 249 at Wigan which is great for him as well. He's out of contract in the summer, so is Isaac Cantonar and two attacking midfielders, both quality. Whether they ha- quite have the physicality to play at, at the very top level for United isn't clear, but both have been developing really nicely, especially Forson. And Forson's an interesting one who was part of the squad that won the FA Youth Cup a couple of years ago, but actually barely played in the games because he was um, beaten in the starting a lineup by Isaac Cantonar and by Dan Gore, by Kobe Minor. So... He's done really well to um, to progress onwards from there and, and kick on. Isaac, there was a report last week from United District, um, run by Kane Smith, who's been on the podcast a few times, that Isaac's getting closer to signing a new deal at United, having looked like he was likely to go. He's a he's a, got incredible vision and kind of execution of passing, and he's a really nice player to watch. So I do hope it it, it can work out for him for a bit longer at United and see what happens because he's yeah he's a fun player to watch. As for academy graduate number two hundred fifty, who knows. Um, if Reese Bennett goes out on loan, then that rules him out. It's uh, It could be a, a few months. We'll see. Um, but there could be a surprise outsider. Who knows? Uh, as for this weekend, there's a derby against Manchester City on Saturday morning. The under-18s play City. I think it's an 11am kickoff and that one will be on MUTV as well. So that's your academy briefing uh, for the last few weeks. Okay, Jack, 2024. What are we, what are we hoping for? Um, should we start with the rest of the season and then talk more broadly about the year? My hopes for 2024 are that the ownership situation is fully resolved. I mean, both getting getting it officially ratified, but also, as you mentioned before, getting very, very clear public sort of guidelines on exactly what is going to be the limits of Ineos's remit at the club. A good summer transfer window where it feels like we have much more of a plan than we have. Also recouping a lot of money in sales from players on the pitch. I mean, I'd love to see United get back in the Champions League. That feels a long way off at the moment, but that and a long run, winning the FA preferably Cup. winning, yeah. obviously, the FA Cup. Yeah. yeah, win the FA Cup, play better. I don't really care where United finish because it's so dependent on other clubs as well uh, and because we're quite far off. I guess a big thing actually as well is I want to I want United to be fun to yeah. watch. Actually, is is the biggest like I, there have been times this season where it's I don't even even when we're winning I don't enjoy watching us play and I don't I hate feeling like that watching my team play. Yeah, football. and like I go back to that. Um, I know it's like nearly a hundred years ago, but I do think it's relevant that example of Gibson taking over United in at the start of nineteen thirty-two. Within weeks, like it, you'd be shocked how quickly things can change in football, and we see it with new managers. But when you're yeah. talking about the whole club, and there's such an opportunity here, and I guess what my real hope is is from for everyone that there's there's motivation and and kind of inspiration at United again, where this new kind of structure at the club can make players, staff, coaches and and fans be proud to work for, play for, support United, to not be ashamed of the club and, and to go around thinking, yeah, we're, we're, we're at the start of a journey towards something. That's like kind of my real big picture hope for 2024 um, because I think it is possible. Um, well, and, but- and to your point about 
earlier about setting out these sort of public list of goals, you almost want them to put a little bit of fire on, on Ten Hag's seat and yeah. sort of say, look, Man United is about playing this good, expansive, attacking, entertaining football. And if you do that publicly, it's going to put Ten Hag under pressure to deliver because if he doesn't, we're all going to know that that's not living up to the standard that has been set out. Yeah, yeah. For the rest of the season, I think my hope is that they give, and I spoke about this a lot in December, that Ten Hag is at least, while they make the decision about whether he stays or goes, is given that backing to say, forget the players you don't believe in. We want to see you put your ideas in place. And um, we're, we're going to give you that support at least for these next few months. And I hope for longer um, to to do that. Uh, and yeah, I hope United win the FA Cup. That would be great. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good start winning at Wigan and then getting a draw against Newport or Eastley. Um, but yeah, you have to hope not for, <laughs> hope there's no massive upset there. That would be... That would be truly terrible. And I, yeah, the, I guess other things would include, as you say, a good transfer window. That you're, you're hoping that the culture of the club changes, that the, the wage structure is more sensible, the recruitment's better. And you also want to hear some news about Old Trafford, what's going to happen with it. And you want to be excited by those ideas, not kind of fearful of them. And we can talk about that another time. But yeah, I think that general feeling of like, this is a, like it can make such a big difference to players. And like you saw it in Newcastle when, Saudi took over you don't necessarily the players don't have to be new players but everyone at the club will feel better and do better work when they've got this feeling that things are going in the right direction so I hope for that anything else should we have some um, well I guess there's, there's a few other specific player kind of things you hope that Martinez stays fit that Shaw stays fit Rashford and can really start playing well again he scored or, or made an assist, I think, his last four games, which is much better than it was at the start of December. The effort has gone up and down, I think, from him. Um, I, th- I still think he needs a bit of a kick up the arse and needs to start tracking back more and quicker. Um, stop throwing his hands up quite as much. He kind of seems to have learned from Ronaldo in, in that <laughs> sense. And you want to see Garacho and, and Kobe Mayanu continue to be brilliant because <laughs> so far they have been. And that's that. they're the kind of two players you can really get behind and, and see this vision of the future of United, which is which is exciting. Yeah, big time. Um, you know, I think the, the young players, United squad is, is all over the place yeah. at the moment in terms of like the age profiles. But it's those young players that you really got to care about the most. The players you think could be a foundation for the next sort of five years. And so then you're looking at obviously Mainu, Garnacho, Hoyland are sort of the big, really young players. And then slightly older, you've got like Martinez and Rashford, players who, you know, are definitely not young players, but those that are certainly not at the, towards the end of their prime by any means. And then I think, I think also, like I said, I, I want, I want, I want players to also look like they enjoy playing for United as well. And that, that will obviously come with playing better football and obviously better results too. But I think for me, those those probably five, Mainu, Garnacho, Hoyland, Rashford, Martinez are probably the five that I would say are the big ones for me in terms of how we're going to look going forward. You could, you could probably throw players like Bruno Fernandes and Luke Shaw in there, players who, you know, definitely a lot older than, than those others, but look like they're going to be important parts of this team for the, at least the next few years. But those five, I think, are the big ones for me in terms of what the future might look like and players to really build around. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's end with the final guest to play a clue, which is, I played 342 times for Man United from 2002 until 2015. Ooh. So I came through the club's academy. I played successfully. I left, played for another two English clubs, came back as a coach. I missed a final 
while I was at United and my absence in that final is still seen as a deciding factor in the game and I played 342 times for Man United from 2002 until 2015 Jack you have the right answer can you scream it from the rooftops please Darren Fletcher yes absolutely and yeah you got it after, I've got to say if I hadn't one. if I hadn't have guessed that seen that last clue might throw me off did he really make his debut in 2002 in that season I haven't actually checked the date of the debut so it could have okay. been early 2003 uh, give me. Right. I, I I would have guessed more like 04 or 05 but his debut was okay March 2003 against Basel I mean either way it doesn't matter but yeah right okay interesting God, so he made his debut in a, in a knockout game in the Champions League wow <laughs> uh, no it was the old um, yeah sorry oh the old was it Champions like the second League. group stage yeah. yeah right 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 got ya the rest of that team that day just uh, for a little throwback Roy Carroll Gary Neville John O'Shea Nicky Butt Laurent Blanc, Rio Ferdinand, Fletcher, Phil Neville, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Diego Forlan, and Kieran Richardson. Christ knows what the formation was. Jesus. <laughs> Seems to be a lot of defenders there. I would imagine him. That's, yeah, that's what I was thinking. But Fletcher, Phil Neville, and Kieran Richardson in midfield. Richardson, yeah. With Gary Neville, O'Shea, Blanc, and Ferdinand. The old, like, proper 4 4 2 days as well. Yeah, and Ole and Diego Forlan up front. <laughs> Giggs, Scholes and Beckham came off the bench. Not bad. <laughs> uh, there's no names that really stand out in the Basel team. Gary Neville scored United's only goal. A rare one for him. Anyway, <laughs> Jeez. let's wrap up. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed our return after a few weeks off. For more from us throughout the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at at UTDTate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye. Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.